Father, as we look at this shadowy figure from ages gone by who walked with you, help us in the world in which we live to walk faithfully and to know the joy of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Seb Coe, another Sheffield man. We might as well enjoy our Sheffield glory for a little while. Uh, Seb Coe, another Sheffield person, reminded us on television that yesterday was not a day just of medals. It was a day of inspiration and a legacy. Now, there you are. Those are these are fine words. And it may well seem uh, rather odd uh, when we come to Sunday morning. To, this morning may seem a little bit of an anticlimax. Who on earth was Enoch? When we're moving from Ennis to Enoch, there's a kind of similarity of, 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 of letters about it all. And somehow, uh, Jess Ennis seems a little more exciting than Enoch. We know very little about Enoch, but Enoch is, in, is this gathering of people in Hebrews 11 as a preparation from the beginning of Hebrews 12, where it talks about being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with patience. Does the Olympic Games give you an inspiration to start running? Will you start walk, running around the parish to demonstrate? When I was, when I was vicar, uh, Seb Coe used to run around this parish. On one occasion, he, he whisked past me as I was doing my late-night walk to get sort of things off my chest. I was walking around, and suddenly Seb Coe swept past me, and I came into Margaret and said, Great stuff. Just come in second to Seb Coe. It was rather <laughs> a nice walk. But... Do you have an inspiration to run with patience the race set before us? Now, when you come to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, your Bible's open in front of you, ask yourself the question, who's doing the running and who's doing the watching? Who are the great cloud of witnesses? Well, it seems at first sight, doesn't it, that all the people in chapter 11 are the cloud of witnesses and they're watching us run. I find that rather complicated where Enoch is looking down and watching me run, I'm not sure. But you can also interpret chapters 12, verse 1 and 2 with our little series in mind, that these great saints, these cloud of witnesses, are there and we look at them for inspiration. Do you remember a few days ago when they were worried about the empty seats? I didn't notice many empty seats in the Olympic Games yesterday. And every athlete kept on saying how much they were geared up, encouraged, enthused by the crowds who were cheering them on? Well, that's great. And in a very real sense, when we look back at these great characters, they're there to encourage us to run with patience the race set before us. And remember, Enoch had very little to go for. Go for. He was living way back in history. We know very little about Enoch. Uh, we do know he stands out as being different to Genesis 5. If you read Genesis 5 carefully through and don't get worried too much about the length of years they lived. Keep running, reading it through. There's one thing that comes regularly. Have you spotted it? He lived so many years, and he died. And he lived so many years, and he died. And so it goes on. And suddenly Enoch, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He broke the barrier of death. He became a kind of shadowy anticipation of the glory of the resurrection. We only have one biblical reference to Enoch in the New Testament, apart from Hebrews. And it comes in the little letter of Jude. And the letter of Jude in verse 14, it talks about Enoch as he was being a, 
a man who preached judgment. And he preached judgment against people who walked in all kinds of ungodly ways. And you read on, and do you know who, who he stands out, who he picks out, Jude, as the ungodly act and the ungodly people? Wait for it. Fault finders and grumblers. I love that. We can all think of the terribly wicked people in our world and Enoch wagging a finger at them. Fault finders and grumblers. I guess there might be one or two in the pews, even here in Fulwood this morning. And Enoch has a word to say to you. But he comes to us primarily in this from the letter to the Hebrews as one of these people who was looking for something better. Always remember, the letter to the Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. And if you were a Jew, a practicing Jew, you belonged to a, a religion that was in Latin, religio licita. That is, it was allowed. You could be a Jew and you could practice your religion. If you were a Christian, you belonged to a religio non licita. That is, you weren't allowed. So if you were Jewish and you were a Christian and you thought about your well-being, you pretended to be a Jew. After all, why go for persecution when you don't have to? And the letter is writing to them to say, keep looking on, don't turn back, for you've got a better hope. That word better keeps coming in the letter to the Hebrews. And the warning of the danger of going back. Now, if that's a word to Enoch, it's a word from Enoch to us. That is, we have a better hope and we live in the light of that better hope. And so the climax will come in Hebrews 12, verse 2, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not even on Enoch, but on Jesus. Not on one of the athletes, but on him. The great challenge of this letter is because he has, is the Son of God and he's risen, then he's the one who deserves our loyalty. The book begins, Hebrews, by, God, by the writer saying, God spoke in many ways in the past, he has spoken to us last of all in his Son. He has no other word for us. And Enoch wants to remind us to be looking to him. And so the challenge of Enoch is that we should live a life of faith. Always remember, Jesus stands in the middle. I've been reminded already today that when uh, the, uh, the Olympic Games were announced, I was actually speaking at a meeting at the Oaks, the youth centre, which we have many links with, and all the young people are enthusiastic about the idea of the, of, of the Olympic Games coming in 2012. That was seven years ago. And they looked at me, and I, I obviously didn't show all that great enthusiasm. You're not looking very enthusiastic, Philip, are you? What, what, why not? I said, I might be dead by 2012, <laughs> which I'm not, as a matter of interest. I am still here. But nor could I show great enthusiasm, because athletics was never my greatest joy. We, we were at school in the days when athletics were good for your character. Now there's nothing worse than having things that are good for your character. I chew all such things like the play. And athletics, I love cricket. Why don't they play cricket at the Olympics? Then I would get really enthusiastic, but they don't. We probably beat Kazakhstan at cricket. Uh, uh, sorry. But you see, uh, uh, I, I, since I was, uh, I, uh, when I was at school and I had to do, run races, it was good for my character. I chose the shortest race possible, 100 yards. I was no Usain Bolt, whatever he calls himself. Uh, by the time I got to the tape, I never ever breasted the tape in my life. They'd rolled the tape up before I got there <laughs> to breast it. 
so I never knew anything about that. So in a sense, I'm the wrong person to be preaching on this great occasion. Uh, but I'm very happy to be here to look at the, the shadow of Jesus going forwards and backwards right through Scripture about people who are called to run the race, people who did run the race. Please think, Jesus was in the middle of Scripture and the shadows go forward where we are and backward where Enoch was. Well, I, want, I just want allow one more reminiscence and never get on with the job. Uh, I, remember, I recollect the day when I was... I, did you do 11 plus when you were at school? Uh, when I did it, it was scholarship in my day. And there were three exams. One was sums, uh, uh, maths. One was English, grammar. And the other was intelligence. Now, I was very good at sums and grammar. I was hopeless at intelligence. Asked my wife, and she said, he hasn't improved over the years. There's not much intelligence. And I remember there was a picture of the sun, and there were people walking. You had to draw where the shadow was. I hadn't a clue. Not a clue. But theologically, I do have a clue. For the, Jesus is the, is the sun, S-U-N, and he's the, we're living in the full light of it. And Enoch was living in the Shadowlands. And yet in a remarkable way he comes to us. Now one thing to notice about Enoch, that he walked with God. That's the phrase that keeps coming in Hebrews 11 and in Genesis 5. He walked with God. It's an interesting phrase uh, that, that he walked with God. But when Hebrews takes that up, it says in Hebrews 11, it talks about him in Hebrews 11 that uh, he was, in verse Five, he was commended as one who pleased God. Know that phrase? You can't walk with somebody unless you please them. You won't walk with somebody unless they please you. There's a lovely verse in the Old Testament in Amos, chapter 3, where it says, Will two walk together unless they be agreed? Will two walk together unless they please each other? And the glorious thing about Enoch is that his life of faith was a life of walking with God. They loved each other. Would you say that you are a person who walks with God? I had that reading from Micah this morning. It may seem slightly out of kilter. But the reading from Micah was a reminder that what does God want of us? Three things. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Oh, I used to meet people, I still do occasionally, who want to say, no, I don't go to church. I don't worship God, but I, I, I am a Christian. I, I'm as good a Christian as some of those who do go to church, you know. By which they mean they, they care about being kind. Very good. They care about being honest, of course. But God's not satisfied with us. He wants us not just to be honest and kind. He certainly wants that. He wants a relationship with us. That's why he sent his son to die for us. And we have this relationship of walking with him. Two simple thoughts for the rest of my sermon. Faith's confidence, faith's experience. Faith's confidence, first of all in God's reality, verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, and that phrase is the word used of priests in the Old Testament, drawing near to God. It comes in, in Hebrews quite often, drawing near like priests used to draw near in the temple once a year in a very special way. We as the priesthood of all believers are called to draw near to him constantly. And we cannot please God unless we believe that he exists. Not just that there's a God, 
The Bible's quite straight about atheists. The Bible says about atheists, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Straightforward. None of us will be so foolish as to not respond to the obvious signs of a God. But the God who exists is the God of Hebrews, the God who has shown himself in Christ, the God who has given us his last word. We must believe that he exists in that God's reality. And you'll, we'll see Noah tonight, a similar man who believed against the odds in God's word. We'll see it in Abraham. The theme keeps coming in Hebrews 11 who set out not knowing where he was going, but knowing the one who was going with him, God's reality. But also faith in God's reward. Incidentally, it's very possible to be certainly not an atheist, to be certainly a person who believes in God, but practically we might as well be atheists. Do we speak with him? Do we worship him? Do we walk with him? I remember Billy Graham on one occasion, uh, there, was a, there was a kind of theology around in those days which talked about God being dead. Theologians are odd people. And we had a, we had a theology, God is dead. And the commentator asked Billy Graham, Sir, do you subscribe to the view that God is dead? No, sir, said Billy Graham, he can't possibly be. I was speaking to him this morning. I love that answer. <laughs> and I hope you believe he's there. But it's a demonstration that that he came to him and he believed and walked with him. Faith, confidence in God's reality, but also in God's reward. Do you see that? We've had a lot about rewards. Getting a gold medal around your neck, what a great moment if you're an athlete. There was man, one man last night, I, I, I was staggered. I, I did sit through and watch it till late last night. There was a man who said that he, he for, for this gold medal, he had worked, trained from 7 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, virtually the whole of the last seven years. Now, kind of, I think it's wonderful to win a gold. Is it worth that? 7 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night? Sometimes if I speak to Christians and I suggest that being a Christian involves having an hour or so praying to them each day and coming to church each week, whew, come on, that's, that's asking much. To gain a gold medal, 7 a.m. till 10 p.m., doesn't that say something to us? about the challenge to us, about a reward. And what was the reward that, that he found? It was a reward of a present experience. He walked with God and he rewarded Enoch with the assurance of eternal life in that age in which he lived. That was a reward. We see, we see when we come to Abram that God says to Abraham, I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. And when God said that to Abraham, Abraham had just turned down an offer from the king of Sodom to be uh, one of his. I'll offer you security. If you want to be safe in the world, come with me. But God says, no, I am your exceeding great reward. And the challenge, I think, comes, it keeps on coming in Hebrews 11. It comes with Moses, who chose rather to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That is, he got his perspective right. Which reward counts for you? And how important is that reward? One day, the Lord will say to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You and I, well, I, I certainly will never win any gold medals. Most of you won't ever win any gold medals. And we can live happily without it. But that reward matters. Is that what counts? I happened to um, 
be a friend of a man at Oxford who uh, sank in the famous boat race of 1950-something, the only time, I think, in history of the boaters, sank, sunk. They made a mistake, Oxford, that they re-rode it the next Wednesday, which is a mistake because they lost by miles. They'd better stay at the bottom of the, of the river, really, but they sank. Uh, and uh, my good friend, uh, who was a good Anglican, became a clergyman eventually, we all pulled his leg. Did he now believe in total immersion? Oh, we had a great time with him. <laughs> but you see, my good friend, uh, who did all that, he spent hours, hours, preparing to swim a boat race that lasts, what, I don't know, half an hour or so. Hours of discipline, early nights, special diet, to win a race and then sink. But you see, he thought it was worth it. Are you, do you think the reward is worth it? Faith's confidence in God's reality, in God's rewards. Secondly, faith's experience. The experience walk in life, victory over death. That's a lovely picture in walking in Genesis 5, 21 to 22. And if you watch it carefully, I find this intriguing. It says he lived 60 odd years, and then he gave birth, his wife gave birth to Methuselah, who lived the longest of all, if you add up the, 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 the dates. And after Methuselah was born, then it comes, Enoch walked with God. Now, was there something about the birth of Methuselah that made him want to walk with God? Did something happen then? Well, you can read Scripture that way. That he started to walk years and years ago. I did have an existence before Sheffield, and I was a rector in Edinburgh. And we, there was a lady in our congregation who was a, a graduate of the London School of Economics. And she and I had long debates about becoming a Christian. She found it very hard to believe. She really couldn't. She was too much of an intellectual to believe. And she rang me up one day... And because she'd been waiting for a baby and they hadn't had any, and suddenly she became pregnant, and over the phone she said to me, Philip, I believe. She said, I, I, I suddenly realized when I knew I was pregnant, I thanked the God I said didn't exist. I spent my time saying, Thank you, God. Doesn't make sense, does it? Can I come and talk to you? And she came to faith. Came to faith through an experience which made her realize. She needed God. She actually wanted to know God. Well, all we know is that for those years, Enoch walked with God. And in that Micah bit, that's one of the great challenges, not just to do justly, love, mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do you know a lovely verse in Isaiah, one of the, my favorite verses? We sing it in one of our modern songs. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Lovely. And what happens then? They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. When you've won a, golden, a gold medal, you can certainly mount up with wings like eagles. Have you heard all the adjectives used about it? About it? Incredible, fantastic, a dream. All these words that they use, of course, they're, they're, they're on a high. Who wouldn't be? Run and not be weary? Yes, do a job of work and get through. Walk and not faint. How long will the hype last for Jessica Ennis? Well, oh, I've no doubt she's still on a high and more to come. But there will come a day when it's just the ordinary things of life. And the gold medal won't make much difference then. 
when I'm in desperate need, I can't look to a gold medal to bring me hope. I need something more real. And the promise, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And in the New Testament, this walking with God becomes a, a synonym for the Christian life. Indeed, if you read Ephesians 4, 1, Paul talks about walking worthy, and the new version puts it, living a life worthy. And if you walk worthy, then he goes on in Ephesians 5 to talk about walking in wisdom, walking in the light, walking in love, walk in life. And the other bit of his experience was then, because he walked in life, because he walked with God, then there was finally victory over death. Even Enoch, though he was living in those distant days, had such a relationship that it went on into eternity. The, one of my uh, passages, the passage from my funeral service when one day it comes, is in Romans 8. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you have a relationship with Christ Jesus our Lord, in that sense, death is not important. It cannot touch that relationship. Can you speak about it in that way? You walk with God and that day comes when if you have a relationship with Him, it continues. That's why the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say as he talks about the amphitheater and the cloud of witnesses don't keep looking at the crowd look to Jesus the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith who can make all the difference it is almost exactly 50 years since I first preached at the Keswick Convention uh, if you don't know the Keswick Convention I'm sorry if you have heard of the Keswick Convention it is possible to get to heaven without ever having been to the Keswick Convention there are a few who do. But it's much, it is much easier to get to heaven when you've been to the Keswick Convention. I commend it warmly to you. It's all finished yesterday, so you have to wait till next year now. But it was a great privilege to go to the Keswick Convention. And in 1963, nearly 50 years ago, I was invited as a very young man uh, to speak at the Keswick Convention. My mother was a very godly lady. I love this. She was a godly lady who died before I ever spoke. But she knew I'd been invited and she said, Philip, if I were you, you'd better ring them up. I'm sure they've made a mistake. They really didn't. <laughs> so I, because she held Keswick in such high esteem and her son in such a normal esteem that I thought that I was going to preach at Keswick. Well, I did. And I've forgotten most of the texts I've preached at Keswick, but I remember the first one. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you received Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. Do you know... In those days at Keswick, they had what they called a landline, long before modern technology, and every, every meeting was broadcast to those who wanted it, radio. And they were listening back in my home church in Edinburgh, most of them. And they, after I preached, they sent me a telegram. Do you remember the days of telegrams? They sent me a telegram. And the telegram simply read, Well done from your fellow walkers in Scotland. My fellow walkers. I trust you're one of my fellow walkers. And as we come to communion, and as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, as we remember the race of life that's ours, let Enoch, with all the inadequacy of his life, be a little reminder to you and say to you, come on, you've got everything going for you. How about when you take the bread and wine 
making a new commitment to follow the one who gave his life for you so that one day you may share in the wonder of his eternal kingdom. God bless you. Thank you.